Father, we thank you for this morning and just confess that you are the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God, you never change. And you are faithful to your promises. And God, we celebrate that this morning. And may we build our lives on what you have said to us, Father. And so, Lord, may we see more and more of your faithfulness in the days ahead and celebrate and worship as we do. Father, we pray for this time. Pray you'd speak to us by your spirit through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. And welcome to all of you that are here and those of you that are online as well. And I'd also like to extend a special and warm welcome to winter, which seems to have showed back up today. Uh, yeah, it's always a great thing. You know, th- even winter, when snow comes after a long time we hadn't had any, again, it shows us that God is faithful right, that he is faithful to provide for us. And I always like Isaiah 118, I think of it every time it snows, he says, God tells us, if you will just come and speak with me, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And so every time you see it snow, think about God's grace towards you in Christ to take away your sins and make you perfect and holy before him. So this morning we are continuing in our series in Hebrews, so if you grab your Bible or your phone and and open it up to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to look at the last half of the chapter here, um, verses 18 through 29, and really this is the author's climax of the whole book. He's kind of drawn it together for one last hurrah before he moves into some application. Remember, Hebrews is like a a big sermon. He's given us a lot of content, told us a lot about Jesus. He's going to bring it to a final point here, and then he's going to give us some application over the next couple of weeks. And what we're going to see this morning, as Sean kind of challenged us with already, is that this passage, Hebrews 12, 18 through 29, this passage is about worship. In fact, it's going to really ask us this morning, are you going to give your life to Jesus And are you going to live a life of worship to Him? That's our question. It's a good question for this new year, right? What are you going to worship in 2024? What are you going to be about? Are you going to press into God or are you going to press into yourself? Are you going to chase the temporary things of this world that this passage is going to talk about? Or the very lasting things of God? Listen, as humans, we're created to worship God. And when we exchange God, when we give up on God, we're going to worship something. And this passage is asking us, what are we going to worship? Will we worship Jesus and give him our life? So we're going to look at this in three sections this morning, uh, this question, and this is what we'll see. First, we'll look at God's invitation to us to join a better worship party. (laughs) And yes, it is a party. Secondly, we'll deal with the question, what are you going to worship? What is it? What are you going to worship? And then finally, we're going to talk about how to get this worship party going in the last two verses there. Okay, so let's open our Bibles and consider verses 18 through 24. This is God's invitation to us to join a better worship party. Okay, remember what we've said. Hebrews is is a book that wants to show us that, that Jesus is greater He is greater than anything else in this world. He is better than anything God has done up to this point. He is the climax of all that God has done before. And here the author of Hebrews is extending to us again the invitation 
to join something better that is made possible in Christ. You know, in essence, God is, is giving us backstage passes to this really great concert He's already got going in heaven. He's inviting us. I don't know if you've ever had backstage passes, but it's not like being way back on the balcony of the Delta Center, right? You get to join in and meet the people that are doing the show, and God is saying, come join me in this, this big party of worship that is going on. In Hebrews 12, 18 through 24, the author is going to contrast for us kind of the first encounter with God that we had at Mount Sinai during the Exodus with the way that we now get to encounter God through Christ. In fact, we're going to, we're going to work through the book of Exodus later this year. We're going to preach through a lot of Exodus. And in fact, I, I was working on this this week, and as this passage touch, touches on Exodus, I just accidentally accidentally, right, happened to read the passage that corresponds with this in my devotion. And so we're going to look at what God is showing us through this uh, contrast of Sinai and what we now get in Christ. So look at verse 18. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose Words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight of God that it's talking about that Moses said, even I am trembling with fear. Okay, it's recounting here for us Exodus 19 where Israel meets God face to face for the first time. God is saying, I will be your God and you'll be a kingdom of priests to me, but we have to make this covenant and you got to follow my laws if this is going to be true. And we see in Exodus 20 that we get the Ten Commandments. And yet when God appears to them this first time, it's this crazy experience of fire and thunder and lightning, dark clouds, loud trumpets, and it was terrifying. The people were scared. Even it says that Moses was terrified, and he's been dealing with God for years. And this is our God. We don't want to forget that he is holy and mighty, and he is above all. All things, and when we encounter His holiness and His grandeur, it's terrifying. In fact, think back. What happens every time somebody encounters God in the Bible? (laughs) They fall on their face and say, please don't kill me, right? Because they're terrified. Even angels elicit this response. And why is this? Why does this happen when we encounter God? This is really the story of the Bible, that God created man in the garden, and he was a good creation meant to enjoy God. But what did man do? We rebelled against God, chose to go our separate ways, to be separated from a relationship with him. We could no longer dwell with him. Our sin separated us even further. And what the Bible teaches us is that a holy God can't dwell with a sinful people. And so when a God like that comes in all of His holiness and we stand before Him in our sinfulness, it's terrifying, right? In fact, in Isaiah 
6.5, when Isaiah encounters God in his very throne room, he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We feel the distance in our relationship when God shows up in his holiness. Right? We feel that pain, and he's can be very scary. That's why God feels scary to us when we're apart from Him or when we don't know who He is, because He is scary, right? He is holy. But the story of the Bible is that God was always working a plan to redeem mankind and bring them back into His presence, into a relationship with Him. Exodus was just one of the steps in God's plan. He needed to show us who he was, to realize his holiness, his grandeur, to realize our sin, to realize how far we are from him. And even in Exodus, God is gracious enough to make a covenant with man in chapter 24. The law is read, sacrifices are made, and yet a small group of elders of Israel are invited up to have dinner with God on the mountain. That's our good God. He's lurking at ways to bring us back into relationship with him. But listen, nobody wanted to deal with God. <laughs> Exodus 20, 18 through 20 tells us that when the, the people saw the thunder and lightning, they heard the trumpets, they saw the flames and the smoke, they were afraid and they said to Moses, Moses, will you speak to us instead of God? <laughs> in fact, that's what it says in verse 19 of Exodus 20. Moses, will you speak to us? And we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. <laughs> and Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So God had some things to teach us when he first came, and yet the people said, We need a go-between. This is not going to work out. Moses, will you be our go-between between us and God? Because he's kind of a scary guy. Now, I'm always reminded of this, you know, sometimes uh, when your kids want to ask you for things that they're a little afraid to ask, what do they do? Well, in our house, they pick the best man, right, to go, to go and see if they can get done what they want to get done. And so the best man in our house is their six-year-old sister named Ruby. And they load Ruby up of all their requests, and she comes in in her cute self and asks for us to do things because they're scared to come talk with us, right? This is what the people are doing. Moses, will you be the guy that talks to God because he's kind of scary, and I'm not sure he's going to deal kindly with us. And that's common to think that God is big and scary. Maybe I need to stay away from this God, but this God has pursued us. This God didn't leave us in that position. This was one of the steps along the way in his plan of redemption. And what we're going to see and what Hebrews has been telling us is that in Jesus, we've gotten a better mediator and a better way to deal with God to bring us into relationship with him. So look what he says here now in verse 22. So that's the way God first dealt with his people, but now he deals with us in a different way in Jesus. Here it is, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the, whole, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. That means 
They're gathered for a festival, a party, or as Tona would say, a fiesta. <laughs> right? The angels are gathered for a party in heaven, and we're invited. And to the assembly, the Greek word there is the ekklesia. It means assembly, but it's often translated as church. And so he's saying the, the assembly of the church of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven, they're there, and God is there, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That is amazing. Saying in Jesus, you are invited by God to join a better worship party in His presence in heaven. Backstage passes, baby. Right? This is where God is inviting us. I don't know if you've ever been invited to something like this, right? Something that you know you shouldn't be at, right? A couple of years ago, I was invited to lunch with the governor. Now, he does this quite regularly. He invites different religious leaders around the state for lunch with him once a year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I normally wouldn't have any dealings with the governor. I have no reason to and might not even want to have dealings with him. Um, but he cared enough for his probable political purposes to invite many of us in to a meal, right? And so I went and I showed my pass and I came in my suit along with all the other people, and we had everybody from kind of the normal religious crew to guys that are way out there, right? And the governors invited them in. We went in and had dinner. And I was reminded the whole time, I'm not supposed to be here, <laughs> right? Like, there's no reason I should be here, but I'm shaking hands with Governor Herbert at that time and Lieutenant Governor Cox, who's now our governor. And this is what God is doing. He's inviting us into places we shouldn't be because of who Jesus is, right? He's saying, you don't have to be scared of me any longer because you have a better mediator in Christ. And so what made the difference between Sinai and Jerusalem, right? Verses tell us the only way into this, this, into this party is based on the new covenant that Jesus has made in his blood, so are we still coming to worship the same God that revealed himself in Exodus, right? Some have said, well, we're not. This is a different God. But instead, I'd say, no, we are. But something has changed. And we didn't just catch God on a good, a good day, right? You know, we do this with our spouses and our bosses. We, gotta, we want to get in there and ask them the right thing, and we try to wait for the good day. No, th this is the same God. In fact, this passage tells us in verse 23, this is God. He's the judge of all. He's still concerned with sin and holiness. But notice that verse 23 also says, we are coming in to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. Here's what has fundamentally changed. That those that are gathered into this worship party in God's city, they have been made perfect. They have been made holy. God didn't change, but he's changed us. In other words, their sin has been forgiven, they've been cleansed, they've been given a new heart that wants to follow God, and they're ecstatic to worship Him because of what He's done. And verse 23 and 24 tells us that it's Jesus that made the difference. It says He is our new mediator between us and God. He's the better Moses. He's the one that Moses was picturing that would come. 
And as we've seen in Hebrews, Jesus made a new and better covenant with God in his blood. He's the better priest who made the better sacrifice in the better heavenly temple, and he is now the better mediator that invites us to be sprinkled by his blood so that we can be made holy and enter right into heaven and join the party that God is inviting us into. We get an invitation to join a better worship party with God in heaven because of Jesus' blood. That's the difference. Now, Hebrews 12, 24, it reinforces this point, And it says something a little odd to our ears. I don't know if you heard it there. It says, Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. <laughs> what in the world is he talking about here? Genesis 4, the story of Cain and Abel, you know it. Abel makes a better offering to God. Then Cain does. He does it in faith. Abel's offering is received by God's. Cain's is rejected, and Cain's mad about it, right? And so Cain lets it stir up and fester in his soul, and it becomes a bitter root that then leads him to kill his brother. And what does God say to Cain in Genesis 4.10? He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And what's it saying? It's saying, God, I want you to show yourself holy and just and punish my brother for my death. That's what he's saying. But here he's saying Jesus' blood cries out something better. Where Abel's blood cried out for God's justice because of his holiness through judgment, Jesus' blood cries out God's justice is satisfied and anybody that can, can come to him if they are sprinkled in his blood because they've been forgiven and they've been made perfect. He's saying this blood speaks a better word than we've ever heard. And so in Jesus, we're invited to a better worship party in heaven. And it's already going on. But you have to be sprinkled in Christ's blood. Now, if the God of the universe is inviting us to a worship party, then we got a decision to make. Are we going to go? Right? This is kind of where the author of Hebrews takes us. Look at Hebrews 12, 25 through 27. We're going to look at what are you going to worship. You know, we've heard several warning passages up to this point in the book of Hebrews, and here we have a final one. Look what he says, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him, that's Jesus, who's speaking, who's giving this invitation. For if they did not escape when he refused them, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. This is an argument from lesser to greater. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of, of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may remain. So here's the question the author of Hebrews is posing for us in 2024 and really the rest of our life. What are you going to worship? What are you going to worship? Hebrews 1 1 through 2 told us that Jesus is speaking to us. God spoke in a lot of ways, but now Jesus is speaking to us. And he's inviting us to this party to worship God, urging us that we better not refuse this invitation because it's not going to go well. In fact, the warning is to look back at what the Israelites faced when they rejected God. 
right? Even in Exodus at Mount Sinai, God said, look, don't touch the mountain when I'm here because it's holy and you'll die. And we can think of every generation of Israelites since that as they rejected God, they faced the consequences of walking away from Him. And the author is telling us, if that reaped consequences, then when God does the best thing He's ever done in Jesus, then you can guarantee the consequences are going to be worse. So don't reject Jesus. Accept the invitation. Come to the party. <laughs> right? God spoke it to us at Mount Sinai, and it was terrifying, and Jesus is now speaking us a word of grace from heaven. And he's saying we ought not to reject him in his invitation. Right worship starts with making Jesus our Lord and worshiping him. This is where worship starts, making Jesus Lord. The question is, will you follow Jesus or not? Will you accept his invitation of grace to be purified by his blood and join the party? This is the question we have to answer, all of us. This is the question of life. Who is Jesus, and are you going to make him Lord? That's the only question you got to... There's one test in life, and that's it. That's the question you got to answer. Will you make him Lord of your life? Will you follow him in 2024 and beyond? And sometimes this is even just a moment-by-moment question. Right? Am I going to follow him right now? And how about now? Right? And now? And when we do that, you end up having a life of worship. And listen, God is gracious to warn us, right? God is a big, scary God, but He tells us what He's doing. He gives us an invitation to get out of of possible judgment. He loves us, and He is warning us of what we should do. And the obvious response should be, follow Jesus. You know, many of us come to Christ this way, right? We hear about God, who He is. We hear about our sin. We hear about the consequences of our sin, being eternally separated from Him in hell. And we say, I don't want to do that, right? Where do I got a sign? I want to get out. I can think of even my own conversion as a child. The question I asked my mom was, how do I go to heaven, mom? Like, I want to be in heaven at the party. I don't want to go to the other place. And so this question drives us to follow Christ. Now, the author of Hebrews adds more weight to his argument in verses 26 and 27. He says, just like in Exodus, when God came and shook the mountains and terrified the people, he says, you better believe God's coming again, and he's going to shake not only that mountain, he's going to shake all the mountains, and he's going to shake everything, and it's going to be a terrifying moment. So you ought to be ready And you ought to put stock in the things that matter because everything else is going away. You guys remember when we had that earthquake in 2020? Did that scare you at all? (laughs) That was the second biggest earthquake I was in. I was in one in California one time that terrified the duty out of me. (laughs) But that's scary when the ground shakes. And it's meant to remind us, right, of what's coming, that this world is temporary. And there are things that last, but it's not this world, and this world is movable. In fact, Haggai 2.6 tells us that the Lord says, In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That means it's all shaken. Right? 2 Peter 3.10 and then 12 and 13 says, The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief when we least expect it. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. 
and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, and the heaven will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It means there are temporary things that are going away to reveal what is absolutely true and lasting. And Jesus is inviting us to grab a hold of those things right now and begin worshiping him. He's telling us, look, there are things in this life that matter and things that don't. Are you going to worship the things that remain forever or the things that are passing away? Again, we're created by God to worship him. And we are most fulfilled when we do it. In fact, I love coming on Sunday morning and singing praises to God. It fills my soul with joy. The best part of my week. But when we reject God, we will find something to worship in this world. It is a guaranteed fact. The Bible calls those things that we choose instead of God idols. And listen, idols make really bad gods. In fact, they're no gods at all. You know, we look to our idols to bring us purpose and happiness and joy, but they can't do those things. They're not God. In fact, you know, we're kind of in the midst of our post-holiday blues right now, right? Anybody feel that this week and weekend? Taking down the Christmas tree, right? Getting back into schedules, a little bit tired. But I kind of like these post-holiday blues because they show us our idols. They point out our idols better. You know, we get all this great stuff at Christmas, and guess what? Within a week, they don't really satisfy us, do they? We're looking for what's next. In fact, a lot of times, you just end up managing more stuff, and that's no fun. In fact, the new year, we begin to pour ourselves back into our jobs, and we set all new kind of goals, and we think it's going to be great, and in about two weeks, it's back to drudgery, <laughs> right? And at worst... Our job then becomes a slave master so that we can finance the things that we thought were going to bring us joy. (laughs) This is what idols do to us. If your family is an idol, then these kind of idyllic moments, you know, that we all look for at Christmas time, these moments we try to create, guess what? They all get busted, right? If you're lucky, God might give you one, but usually they're all messed up and squashed by sinners all gathering together under a roof and starting to pick at one another. That idol's gone, right? You know, recreation was my idol in my heart for a long time. I love to get in the mountains and ski and climb and camp and bike and do pretty much whatever, right? This is where I found life and joy and purpose. For a long time, I even tried to make my life serve that idol, right? Try to make your marriage do that, your work do that. Kids, serve your idol for recreation. And in the new year, when you get no more time off, that idol gets squashed by responsibility. And what do you think that does to your soul? Well, it makes you mad. In fact, when your idols get blocked, you get real angry because you can't have what you think makes your heart sing and brings you joy or what you think provides for you. It cries out and makes us angry that we can't have it. In fact, one of the best ways to identify idols in your heart are what are the things when you can't get them make you the most angry? Those are idols because we want them to provide something for us that only God can. In fact, James 4, 1 through 4 tells us this. 
that really it's our idols that cause us to fight. We want our idols that come from the passions of our heart. And when we can't get those things, then we're going to fight with you because we surely want them. And so I'd ask you this morning, let's do a little self-evaluation. What are your idols? What are the things you're worshiping instead of Jesus right now? The things of this world that you want so bad, that you look to to make life good, and the things that make you mad when you can't have them. What's God showing you this morning? The author of Hebrews is telling us that all those idols that we worship, they're passing away, they're temporary. And he's saying, what are you going to worship? Things that are passing away are the things that matter. You know, we're going to come to a time of communion this morning at the end of the sermon. And communion is for believers in Jesus that have given their life. And the first Sunday of the year is a great time to recommit yourself to following Jesus, saying, Lord, I remember what you did, and I'm giving you my life as I take your body and blood. I want my life to be lived for you and worship every moment of him. What are you going to worship? And for those of you that don't know Jesus, communion is a great time to see what Jesus has done and accept it for the first time and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, and then you can take with us. What are you going to worship? After everything the author has said to us, now he's going to call those of us that have made Jesus Lord to get this worship party going here on earth as it is in heaven. Look what he says here in verse 28. Therefore, in other words, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, And the fact that he's inviting us to a party in heaven that's already going on that we should accept the invitation to. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is the same God of the Old Testament, but in Christ he has given us something better. Those of us that are Him are now part of His kingdom, and we have an everlasting expectation of joy and hope as we gather with the angels and the assembly of God's people, the righteous that have been made perfect in Christ's blood, that we will dwell with God as His sons and daughters forever in heaven worshiping Him. And the author is telling us, if you believe that, then you ought to get the party started now. You ought to start worshiping him now, just like as if you're in heaven. He said, let's be grateful for all that God has done and worship him with our lives right here where we are. God is worthy of our worship for who he is and what he's done in Christ. And worship is really our response to who God is and what he's done in our life. And so when we think about worship, it's good to ask the question, how's your worship? How do you worship? Do you make the worship of God a priority? Might not worship God well because you haven't encountered Him well lately. Because when we see God for who He is, it causes us to worship. You know, sometimes I look around the room and we're singing in here, and there's some of you that worship like crazy, right? Expressive, joy on your face, right? Tears coming down. You're worshiping God because you're thinking about who he is, and then I see some other ones of you, and you don't look so happy to be here. Maybe just standing there with a grimace on your face. 
And I would suggest that you might need a fresh encounter with God. Because when we see God for who He is and what He's done for us, your heart can't but help worship Him. So God is calling us to start worshiping Him. You ever read a word in the Bible and just want to praise God? Right? You see Paul do this sometimes when he's writing. He writes something about God, then he just breaks into praise. And you're like, what are you doing, Paul? Sometimes I feel that. I'm reading the Word. I'm like, man, that's so amazing, and I want to sing. And then I realize I can't sing very good. It sounds really terrible when I'm not singing with you guys. But let Sunday morning reflect the week's work of encountering God. Come here to worship God because you've encountered Him all week, and you want to praise Him for who He is with all the believers that Jesus has gathered together. You know, the point The worship of God is really the true end of the Christian life. The Christian life is not about having a better life, though that's often the byproduct of being a Christian. It's not about having a prosperous life, though God often blesses His his people. It's not even about having an easy life, though walking with Jesus through hard things is better than not having Him. But worship is the true end of the Christian life. God wants to remake us in Christ into the worshipers He always meant us to be and what we walked away from in the garden. And when we become worshipers of God, our heart will be more full of joy than it is in anything of this world. As I've said, there's no better time in my week than when I gather to worship with you all. In fact, this is why it's on our discipleship wheel, right? We say, a risen life is a life of worship. This is the end of discipleship that we want to make worshipers. Romans 12, 1, present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And Ben, you can come on up. Worship is not just singing. It's not less than that. But it is really all we do in our life as believers in Jesus. Your life in every aspect should be a song to God which sings of His character and His goodness to you. In fact, as we move into Hebrews 13 and he begins to cover all these practical things and instructions on how to live our lives in response to Jesus. He gives us instructions on marriage and finances and and our sexuality. And you know what he says about all those things? He calls it worship, doing those things well. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16 says this, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And here's what that is, lips that acknowledge his name and doing good, right? So worship is praising God with our mouth, repeating who He is, confessing who He is, and living a life in the things He's called us to do. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God, it says. This is a life of worship, acknowledging Jesus as Lord and walking in His ways. Are you going to worship Him this year in 2024? That's our question. Are you going to worship Him? You know, we're going to take communion together as we kick off this year of being worshipers in Christ. God has extended to each one of us an invitation to a worship party in heaven. Are you coming? You want to be a part of that party? He says, give Him your life and let's start worshiping.
confess him as Lord and start worshiping. Be covered in his blood. Be made perfect. Exchange your sins for his righteousness so you get a backstage pass to join the angels and all those that have been made perfect in Christ's blood. If he's speaking to you this morning, then don't refuse him. That's what the author's saying. So we're going to come to this time of communion this morning, and we're going to get a chance to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord for the first time or again. Lord, I want to start 2024 remembering who you are and what you've done for me. Communion is for believers. Again, we'd ask that if you've confessed Christ as Lord, that let's come to the table and remember who he is and celebrate that. If you don't know him, then why don't you just confess him now and come to the table so that we can celebrate together. And God asks us when we come to the communion table to examine our life. Just like we said, are there idols in our life we need to give up this morning? Are we worshiping something other than him? Is there sin we need to confess to him? Then he says, come and confess that and be sprinkled by my blood, right? Be cleansed. Begin walking afresh with him. He also asks us to consider our relationships, to think about this body and to think, are there people I need to get right with this morning? He says, make those things right, right? So that we can be unified in the body and blood of Christ. Now, as we come to this time, I'd ask the parents, this is a great time to instruct your kids on the gospel, that we would explain to them the meaning of the body and blood of Christ. And we would invite kids that are confessing Jesus to come celebrate communion with us. They're part of the redeemed people. They're the righteous that get to party with God in heaven. But help them in this time to pray to God and to confess things so that we can celebrate together. I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward as we sing, and we'll, we'll pass out the elements and take them together.